Welcome to Season 5 of the Basics of Life Conversations with Rob Salvato. You know, by the time he was um, he was 12 months, he wasn't crawling, he wasn't walking. Most kids are walking about that time, you know. So we, uh, we took him, you know, the, the pediatrician at the time, like I thought, you know, boys develop later. Um, so, but really it was clear by 18 months, we ta- had taken him to a pediatric neurologist who had done a number of basic tests, you know, like blocks and, or handing him a doll or something to play with. And he just couldn't at an age appropriate level, even do anything with them. And it was like a stock in the, in the gut to me. I, I don't know something about being there in that moment, in the doctor's office, in that cr- clinical setting. Um, we knew something really wasn't wrong, right officially. Today on the Basics of Life Conversations, my guest is Pastor Kevin Steele. Kevin has served as the lead pastor at National Hills Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia for the past 18 years. Now, Kevin and I go way back. He was actually a part of the youth group that I pastored here at Calvary Vista back in 1989 and 90 during his junior and senior year of high school. And even back then, I saw a calling on Kevin's life. And so I was overjoyed to learn over 30 years later that he was a pastor. Kevin and I recently connected on Facebook of all places, and he wrote an article that appeared in the Augusta Chronicle, a local newspaper there in Augusta, Georgia. And the story was about his journey with his autistic son, Caleb. I was moved by the story, and I thought that this was a story that needed to be heard by others. And so I invited Kevin to come on our program because I felt like this story, the things that he's going to share would be of great encouragement to parents who are living with special needs children, but also that it would be insightful for the rest of us who are maybe unfamiliar with the struggles that those parents are going through. So Kevin and I sat down via Zoom for this bonus episode so that he could share his heart and his story. And I hope you'll be blessed by this conversation. And so now here's my conversation with Pastor Kevin Steele. Well, welcome to the conversation, Kevin. Uh, Thank you, Rob. I can't tell you how excited I am to be with you today. In fact, um, can I just start off, take a moment of personal privilege and thank you for your investment in me. Um, as a young man, I, uh, you were you were my youth pastor for I don't know at least two or three years. Yeah, I I came over from another church um, that my family was a part of, and uh, with my best friend Jason and Denise was on the guitar, and you were man, you were in the Word. It felt like uh, felt like something out of the Book of Acts. You know, it was just organic. Yeah, and uh, you know, faithfully preached through. I remember, man, that was a long time ago, but uh, it was like 32, 33 years ago. You preached through the Book of John and. We were just exploring the word of, of God together and the life of Christ together. And man, I'm so grateful. And I, I, I want to give another, I know I'm just kind of gushing like a fangirl, but I want, <laughs> I want, to, want to just kind of give another shout out like the whole, so I was raised in a Baptist tradition, you know, and family and still serve in that context. Um, but Calvary Chapel gave me something I didn't have growing up. And that was like a freedom to express an intimacy with God and music and songs, you know, the whole Maranatha thing, right? That's your part of your story. But, but I really didn't like, I, I love the, the, the heritage that I've been given the solid expository preaching. Uh, But you taught me like, and and then the Calvary uh, chapel movement that doesn't have to be either, or it can be both. And, you know, exactly, exactly. So grateful. Yeah. Those were great times. And uh, I remember just thinking about, I think you were a junior and senior year when you were here. And, and, uh, I just, I remember thinking, you know, this, this kid's got a calling on his life. So when I found out that, you know, you were a, a pastor and came across you on Facebook, Facebook, I guess is good for a few things, you know? Yeah. Every now um, and then. Yeah. Uh, I, my heart was just overjoyed and you're in Augusta, Georgia. So big question, uh, Bulldogs or tech fan, which is it? Oh man. So I gotta say, I'm a little torn because, uh, several family members, uh, went to tech. So that's kind of who I started out rooting. But when Mark Rick was the coach, uh, I started liking the dogs and kind of, kind of rooting for them now. now. So I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, you know, a house divided against itself. I don't know if it's going to stand or not, but yeah. 
All right. Well, hey, today we're we're talking about your story, and um, I came across a story that you had written about your son Caleb, and your son uh, Caleb has autism, and I, I wanted to just spend some time today kind of letting you tell your story and, and um, just seeing what we can learn from your experience. And, and, and I'm going to start was, what, what was your first reaction when you found out that Caleb, Caleb was uh, autistic? What was your first reaction to that? Yeah, so I think to answer that question properly, I need to go back about nine months before when, uh, before he was born, when um, found out that we were expecting again have two older daughters and this would be our third child um i had been serving at a church uh, for about six years at that time and really felt like i'd come to a great impasse i'd given everything i knew to give and done everything i knew to do and um, was a young man serving and um really there was a lot of dysfunction and there's some racism and anyway uh pretty significant issues and i just didn't know what to do so i started on a 40-day fast and I'd never done anything like that before. Um, honestly, I love food, so <laughs> it really was uh, it really was a set. So just like water and and juice and and the word and um, and in desperation, asking the Lord just to show me what do I do? Do I persevere? Do I continue? Do I um, do, do I just keep on, or or do we or do I move on? And so mm. in that time, really, the Lord hadn't given me any clear, like supernatural moments where I really felt like there was uh, a clear vision of this is what you've got to do. There were some indications, you know, in um, uh, in my normal scripture reading, I didn't play like Bible roulette trying to find, you know, it's got to be this one, you know, but uh, <laughs> just uh, I, I did sense, though, that the Lord was probably moving our hearts on, but, but it came to the 40th day of the fast, the last day, and um, the Augusta National was uh, hosting their Masters tournament. It's like the Super Bowl of golf. Yep. Like, you know, <laughs> and, it, and it, it was uh, it's in our city on the main road. And um, I came out after a half a day of uh, the associate pastoral associate that I was working with um, was with me that morning. I came out and my wife was going to meet me and go in to the um, experience the last part. And, and I'd figured it was the 40th day of my fast. I'm like, God, you know, you hadn't been all that clear. So you can speak to me just as clearly out on the, in the tournament as you can me sitting here. So, you know, just saying. Uh, so I went out, met my wife um, and uh, she was going to come in. Um, she said, Hey, I got to tell you something. Are you ready to be a dad again? And I don't know if it was walking the whole course with its undulating hills or um, not eating for 40 days, but for the first time and only time in my life, I literally had to be assisted over to a bench nearby <laughs> to sit down because I was not expecting that. Wow. And it, it turns out months later, we would find out that the Lord was calling and directing us to an established church that was literally just 100 yards um uh, away from where my wife had told me that wasn't really in the factor. It was really after I'd already come to where I, the Lord brought that back to my memory. Um, but uh, so it was on that backdrop that we found out we were expecting. And I had really thought that, man, I'd been praying for my kids before they were ever born and praying that the Lord might have them in ministry or, or propel them somewhere outside of this country to share the gospel of Christ. So, and I was pretty pumped, although a little physically weak when we found out. And then we found out we were having a son and I thought maybe God in his great mercy might, uh, might, might uh, call him. I mean, it's the Lord's calling, not, not a dad's calling, but uh, I could think of no higher honor than if the Lord would call him to use him. Um, so fast forward now, um, some eight months or so after his birth, my wife, who's a lot more perceptive than me, I'm a generalist. She's a lot more specific, you know, detail oriented. And, um, and she was noticing he wasn't really making these mile markers that he should, you know, other kids were sitting up. He wasn't seemed to have a lack of muscle tone and ability to control some things to keeping his head up when other kids did, you know, some basic mile markers that as a dad, you're like, Oh, he's just going to be fine. You know, <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of, I've had several, uh, well, several, it sounds like we've got some situation going on. At least two of my kids have broken their arms. I'm like, Oh, they're fine. You know, the next day we go to the doctor, it's broken, but you know, that's just kind of how I handle things. I'm kind of an optimist, you know? Yeah. So, but you know, by the time he was, um, he was 12 months. He wasn't crawling. He wasn't walking. Most kids are walking about that time, you know? So we, uh, we took him, you know, the, the pediatrician at the time 
like I thought, you know, boys develop later. Um, so, but really it was clear by 18 months, we had taken him to a pediatric neurologist who had done a number of basic tests, you know, like blocks and, or handing him a doll or something to play with. And he just couldn't at an age appropriate level, even do anything with them. And it was like a stock in the, in the gut to me. I I don't know something about being there in that moment, in the doctor's office, in that clinical setting. Um, we knew something really wasn't right officially. And, um, so she diagnosed him with uh, PDD, which is, uh, for our listeners who may not be familiar, um, it's pervasive developmental delays. That's the title they give you when they don't know what's wrong with your kid, but um, they can tell there's some pretty significant issues cognitively and as that plays out in his or her ability to, to function. So um, we began to get some in-home therapy. The home became a hospital of sorts, physical therapy, um, uh, speech therapy, occupational therapy, all those things that happen um, in in the home to get him some aid. And he did eventually learn to walk. And, um, you know, several months after, like six or eight months after, he probably should have and began to get a few words. You know, we, we taught him a few li- sign languages, like more, which yeah. amazingly is the most amazing word ever because <laughs> we learned he... He, he knew when he did this, he could get something, putting his hands together. You know, um, it actually gave him a little bit of a voice when he didn't have the words. Um, so, and then uh, several months later, one of our church members, Brenda, who um, was keeping the nursery and just been a family friend that just kind of, you probably, Rob, had these people in your church that are like, we're just going to look after our pastor. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to treat him, you know, and this family did this, but she boldly came to my wife one day and said, Hey, I think. Caleb might have autism. And uh, man, it took a lot of courage for her because no one wants to hear bad news about their kid and especially that. And um, we didn't really even know what that was much. And so we went to a doctor and, uh, and officially at the age of two got that diagnosis. And uh, Rob, I'll never forget those, those feelings there. I could tell you where the, where the table was, where he was sitting. I could tell you where the TV was adjacent to the door, the the smell of that doctor's office, the the developmental specialist who sat there asking us to fill out questions, you know, and and then she would ask questions, and and then she sat there kind of calculating the numerical um, equivalent to whether or not she had what she thought, and then she just sat up from her notepad and looked at us and said, "Just matter of factly, your son has autism. Mm. You have any questions?" And man, it's like a ton of bricks. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking to myself, like any questions, I don't even know really what autism is. I have no frame of reference. We had never met anyone uh, to our knowledge anyway, that had autism or whose kid had autism. I mean, I think Rain Man was about the only frame of reference. And I hadn't even seen the movie, you know, <laughs> right, and right. by the way, not everyone's a savant and able to, <laughs> to go to Vegas and make you rich. So, you know, um, we just had no frame of reference. So it was all questions. Um, and she really didn't have a lot of answers for us. And despite being the ninth largest state in the union and the medical center of the state of Georgia, there really weren't any groups or, um, uh, or, or community development helps for us. We just kind of, I felt like, I felt like going out on the ocean on a stormy night where the stars can't be seen on a little dinghy, on a little raft, yeah. and and being charted with this task of crossing the Atlantic or the Pacific, you know, I'm not to say that the Lord wasn't there with yeah. us because you know I can I can now retrace His hand and see it, but in the moments, those were really really dark dark Over, days. You were it was overwhelming in a big time way. Yeah, it yeah. it really was. It really was because I mean again we didn't even know the questions to ask, much less how to how to navigate what was this going to look like and of course the biggest question was at that time you know what does this mean for the rest of our lives yeah so your your outlook's not just you know what's in front of me today but but what does this mean and am i equipped and what are we supposed to do can can this be fixed even yeah. right like at that time i kept thinking you know he's just going to kind of grow out of a lot of these things and it's just going to get right progressively better right so so that's so, kind of where we we were at yeah so he was two years old at that point so yeah so what were the next few years like in those you know very 
you know, developmental years and leading up to like kindergarten age? What was that like for you and your wife yeah, and your so, family? So just a little background, because uh, I didn't I didn't know, you know, here I had a child with autism. I didn't even really know what it was. So there are three main things with with um, with autism. One is social uh, difficulty in social interactions. That can mean they are completely averse to social situations or they just don't really ever understand the social norms, right? Yeah. So Caleb's on the high desire of sociability. He just doesn't really get what the rules are and probably <laughs> won't, right? Which makes for some great social experiments. I mean, sometimes we have a little fun with that, but well, we can go there. But but that's that's one of them. Um, communication difficulties, the inability to express basic needs or wants. So you can imagine where how that would be, right? You you can't you can't express what your body needs or wants in the moment. And then he had great. Um, and the ability, difficulty cognitively, so there's some cognitive, pretty significant cognitive impairment. So he's 18 now. I'm going wow. forward to go back. Um, and he's probably at like a, maybe a second grade level um, okay. um, in terms of uh, as far as much as we can we can tell. But so those sorts of things really are all working against him to live a normal and, um, and a, uh, maybe an easy life so to speak. So as a child, without any ability to speak with language, you can imagine how frustrating that is. And the inability to interpret social circumstances and even life circumstances. So knowing where we're going and what we're doing. So he didn't, and he didn't sleep like for the first eight or nine years, he did not sleep well through the night. So we'd already had a couple of, of kids that didn't sleep till they were one. So that was like two years of loss of sleep. And then we had, you know, I guess seven more if you, yeah. if you include the, uh, the two previous, but, but, um, but yeah, so physically you're just trying to put one foot in front of the other. Um, you know, my wife um, took care of the, 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 the children when they were babies at night. So I kind of felt like it was my role to do that, but then you got to get up and, and you got to meet people and, and try to do so with joy. So, you know, and when you've got this sort of dissonance going on in your own life, you know, so there's a lot of inner turmoil going on, but a lot of that gets kind of pushed down because you're trying to point people to Jesus and yeah. you're trying to, uh, and I'm kind of alluding to what I hope to come circle back around to later in the conversation, but yeah, some really, really rough things. I think really the primary emotion for me during those days was grief. Um, I, I know that doesn't really sound like like a very spiritual thing to say but but if we're just being raw and and honest um i think there's a lot of grief there was the grief of um of knowing that the sort of normal father and son interactions were not going to happen um and i don't mean like i wanted him to be the you know american football star and grow up to do this or that because you know i mean those things are trivial but but you know you know, would, would he one day read a book and we'd be able to have a, a deep intellectual conversation, you know, would, um, you know, would he one day walk down an aisle marrying a godly woman and, and, and give grandchildren like, you know, like you have Rob and, and be able to enjoy that and, and, or would the Lord propel him out to serve and speak on behalf of Christ, this glorious name to those who've yet to hear this message of hope in Christ. I mean, all of these things, um, could we just have a normal conversation that wasn't, you know, just one way with him talking and obsessing about roller coasters and yeah. the fact that and grieving over the fact that the fair is now gone, you know, right. like he just can't, he can't. So these, these sorts of griefs and, you know, with the normal, with, with a death, you have these rites of passage where you have a funeral, you know, pastor gets up and says some words. Um, others get up and say some things good about the person, whether true or not. And, you know, there's a memorial service. There's a, there's maybe a burial or perhaps there's, um, a, uh, a dedication of the ashes or something, you know, but, but we do these things. There's a rite of passage, but when someone's born with special needs or a family later discovers that there's, there's a grief like death because you're dying to how you thought things were going to be. And, you're dying to the reality that there are things that will never be that you had wanted. And, but there's no, there's no rite of passage for that. There's no, no. process that you go through. Um, and so it's just survival in those early days. Um, yeah. I had a question about that in, in the sense of um, d does that hit you all at once? Like, do you sit there and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're looking from this moment, 20 years down the line and thinking 
like, you know, oh my gosh, all of this is going to be different than what I thought? Or has it happened more in stages where, you know, the older he has gotten that you've just thought, oh, or has it been both? Yeah, I was going to say, really, the answer is yes. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, um, it, yeah, it definitely has come kind of like in waves, you know, it's like sets of waves. And then there's kind of calm and regular life, you know, as we've gotten older. And I, I will say, if you're listening and you're like, this is the most depressing conversation, just hang on, because I do want to share some encouraging things about our journey. But, you know, you kind of have to know the reality before you can appreciate kind of what what God's done and and how he's worked in us and through us through through these circumstances. But yeah, the grief has come in waves. I think anytime, and, and Rob, this is just a, this is a very strange thing. My wife doesn't actually get this is probably the way I process and the way God's uniquely wired me. But if I look back at a picture of Caleb at that age of two or three or five, four, or really those elementary, early elementary years, I literally immediately start to cry. Mm. It's 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 so strange. It's like, why am I crying? He's a healthy boy with severe limitations, but with also some some abilities. And you know, be joyful for what you have. But but those were really hard, hard. I can't express how hard they were. And if you're in the middle of that listening, I just want to encourage you. Um, that God's grace is sufficient. Uh, you don't feel like it in the moment. I'm going to tell you that. You feel like a lot of things are lacking in you, but um, yeah. but I can just testify he's 18 years old now, and I can just testify that his grace really is sufficient, and he will He will see you through. He really will. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, some pretty big challenges. I, I think I mentioned to you personally, or, or maybe I think in the article you were alluding to, that he wasn't toilet trained until the age of nine, which – um, I mean, man, that's huge. I mean, yeah. you talk about things you don't want to dominate your life, but I mean, nobody wants to change a nine-year-old boy's diapers, right? Uh, you know, yeah. um, I mean, anyone's diapers, right? But let's just be real. I once went through the most unedifying experience of calculating with our five children, how many diapers we actually went through and financially what that cost, <laughs> especially it was, it was not helpful for me in my walk with the Lord, Rob. I'm just going to be honest with you. It was yeah. like a lot. Um, and you know, you just feel like you're up to your eyes in, um, in a lot of stuff that's, that's unpleasant and hard and, and difficult. Um, I know that when, when uh, I just share a couple little quick antidotes with, with you, just so our listeners can, can get a feel, um, you know, there, there's a lot of some just basic common sense stuff that that kids with autism or any other special needs perhaps maybe don't have. So we were trying to sleep one night and we woke up to the smell of fire. Mm. And um, it turns out that Caleb had gotten up earlier than us. I think he was about nine at the time and had gotten um, a Chick-fil-A sandwich and put it in the microwave, which, you know, if you've ever eaten the Lord's chicken before, you know that it's wrapped in tinfoil. <laughs> so so uh, we had a, you know, besides that near nuclear, you know, meltdown there, you know, we, Christmas day, we were host one year, we were hosting um, about 25 family members and uh, friends. And um, uh, we don't host very often because it's difficult for those reasons and other, but uh, somehow he had ended up in the bathroom and had flushed and um, we were preparing Christmas dinner and we came out to $17,000 worth of water damage because he had just kept flushing and over. I don't know where the other kids were like someone usually reports on him, but you know, <laughs> anyway, so, you know, these are just stuff. It's part and parcel. And, you know, we, in 18 years, this has only happened once, but, but it's because, and this will lead to the, the kind of mental and emotional stress that I'm trying to present here. Um, we had a neighbor one day as we were cleaning on a Saturday, just, just doing regular life chore stuff, you know, um, knocked on our door or rang the doorbell and we went to the door and he said, Hey, is this your son? You know, we didn't, I mean, normally we're really attentive and check on him every two or three minutes, but somehow he had slipped out and you know, that that's scary because he doesn't have the ability, or at least at that point in his life to find his way back home. And you, you go through all those sorts of thoughts, you know, and again, it hasn't happened any other time in 18 years, but that shows the level of intensity as a parent with special needs, you're always on. Yeah. And that leads to, um, I think, a, a heavy stress level uh, that you may not know is residing or simmering down deep inside. I'll, I'll speak to that maybe a little later on, because uh, it kind of really came to a crisis point in my life. Hmm. 
Now, let me ask you this question. Um, have you and your wife dealt with this differently? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. Um, you know, we definitely process differently. I'm a verbal processor. You might be able to tell that. <laughs> um, I have to work things out out loud, which um, she kind of has to get by herself and think and evaluate. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, I think we have. I have definitely experienced um, way more grief. And I say that not to say that like I <laughs> get like the corner on grief. I've experienced, uh, I don't know. I think I feel all the feels more than she does. She's more even, you know, than I am uh, just emotionally. And it's just how God's wired her. But uh, when I talk about this kind of level of grief and, and explain that to her, she gets it. Like she's yeah. lived that, but I don't think, you know, from what she's related to me that she does, I think she um, more just takes it as it comes and, and deals with it in those moments. Um, but, but, yeah. So, you know, we balance each other out well in, in that way. But um, I think I think I'm definitely a process that more emotionally um, and she's more reticent to or, or more ready, I should say, to, to kind of educate people publicly. So we'll go out and we'll get those awkward looks when he's either having a meltdown, even as an 18 year old or whatever. And she wants to educate the world. She's like, he has autism. Let me tell you, you know, and I'm like, just let them look, you know, yeah. that's their problem. They've got issues. You know, <laughs> you know? So, so I think she processes it by bringing other people in yeah. um, to this journey with us. And I'm, I'm probably a little more reflective. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Now in the article that you wrote uh, there in the Augusta Chronicle, is that what, what it's called? Right, yeah. Right, yeah kind of a, amazing article that Kevin wrote on this. Um, but you wrote that some parents with special needs children claim that if they had the power to remove their child's disability, they wouldn't do it. But you have a different sentiment on that that I thought was really interesting. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I think, um, so I, I think a lot of people are drawn to simplistic answers. Um, and <laughs> that kind of sets me up as though I'm not right. But, but let me explain. Um, I, I think as a form of acceptance, it sounds, sounds right and popular. And it sounds like you're not diminishing the child or the individual with special needs. If you say, you know, I love them just as they are. And of course, anyone that has a child with special needs that you know, has any sense of common grace and, and any any semblance, semblance of what's right, you know, you could love your child as they are, right? You accept them. But that doesn't, I think for me at least, it doesn't take away um, what I would wish for my child. I mean, what kind of parent wants their child to suffer something like, um, you know, these seizure-like sort of things that he sometimes has where his eyes roll into the back of his head and, um, and the doctors don't know what's going on and he's, his palms and his forehead sweat and he's having some sort of adverse reaction to some out external stimuli that we just don't even see or notice. Maybe something that he heard or some, some sort of photosensitivity. We don't even know. But like what kind of parent wouldn't want him to, uh, would want that kind of suffering to continue or, or what kind of parent wouldn't want him to experience the the kinds of joys that we have with deep relationships not one-sided relationships or the kind of life uh, experiences that we would hope others would have the, those kinds of things i think at the core um you know the frustration that he has because he doesn't understand what's happening i think as a parent uh, i would want him to not have that you know um or or even you know from really the most menial of tasks to the most meaningful of responsibilities. These are the kinds of things that life's made up of that we know life's made up of. And, um, you know, and I don't know what I would want him to see and reach his full potential. You know, I think in the article I said, you know, would he, when, would he watch football with me and enjoy it? You know, would he, would he, would his repertoire of movies be more than, than just uh, Disney? Would he be compassionate like his mom? Would he, you know, be a debater like his older sister? And boy, she can she can flat debate. <laughs> you know, like what would he be like? Were it not? And so I, I can't help but I'm an I'm an I'm an idealist. It's just kind of how the words wired me, and um, that's been part of my struggle with coming to terms um, with where he's at and where I would want him to be. Is this this idea of of how we are all designed to be, and yet 
we live in a broken and fallen world. So I hope we can get to that in a minute. But but yeah, I, I would want him to <laughs> to experience those joys and would want him to be protected from all those vulnerabilities which are innate when yeah. a child has cognitive impairments and difficulties. So yeah. yeah, that's kind of my my take on it. I know there are others like platitudes and yeah. you know stuff like, you know, God never gives us more than we can handle. I'm like, that's horrible theology. <laughs> right. He exactly. always gives us more exactly. than we can handle, right? Oh, I love to preach that one. Yeah. Um, oh, man. You know, because he wants us to cast our utter right. care upon him, you know, right. or, or, or Rob, this one real quickly. God, God only gives special needs kids to special parents. <laughs> like, what? Like, he's got a bunch of. Like he's got a bunch of like uh, embryonic um, children up there. I mean, what do we like? What is that? Yeah. And he's just waiting for someone with the right resume to come along. Anyway, so I'm just going to go off a little <laughs> bit on, on, on that, that bad theology. Yeah. yeah. Don't get me but started. I, I but really do. I really do. And I, I, I love this in your article. I, I really appreciated your honesty and your vulnerability. But um, in the article, you also talk about this day that you had, you got a call and you had to go to the school and pick up your son. And um, as you're driving home that day, some thoughts crossed your mind as you looked at your son. Can, can you elaborate? Can you just share what, what happened in your heart and mind that day? Yeah, you know, so with regard to that particular day, Caleb was having one of these spells. I don't really know what to call them because the neurologist doesn't know what to do with the information we've given, uh, hasn't been able to replicate that in, in testing that he's done, but um, his eyes do go in the back of his head. It's incredibly disconcerting to watch. Honestly, it kind of makes my stomach knot up like that yeah. physical sickness in your stomach when you see something, someone suffering from something and you don't know what to do to, to fix it. So I was called in the middle of the day away from you know my pastoral responsibilities and to come and, and get him. I have a little more flexibility um, than, than my wife, who's a, a librarian. And so I, I got to the school there and and um, got him, you know, had to leave. So his eyes get fixed. It's so bizarre. They get fixed kind of in a corner of, of his head and they're only looking up. So he can't even navigate in those moments um, to to the car. So I had to help get him in the car and, and buckled him up. And as we turned left out of the, out of the high school, I, I thought to myself, and it was totally a moment of God's grace in that moment, because uh, honestly, a lot of times I would have seen this as an inconvenience. You know, I've got stuff to do. I've got responsibilities. Real life has to take place. But it's like the Lord just washed over me with his grace and allowed me to see the moment for what it really was and allowed me to see not someone over there as a passenger who had a disability or someone who was a drain on society or or someone who really was going to end up uh, with us the rest of our lives, as he probably will be. But I just looked over to my right, and I saw my son. Mm. <laughs> my son, whom I love, whom I give my life for, this is my boy, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and that's how I know him. And, and there are some most precious and incredible things about him. You know, even... In the greatest of difficulties, Rob, the Lord still lavishes his grace yeah. upon us. And there's just some things, you know, um, about him that even in the middle of it are, 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 are incredible. You know, so as I'm driving home and I'm just thinking to myself, you know, he really is a gift. Mm -hmm. um, he's a, in this world, we, we live in a throwaway society. We, <laughs> I confess we live, we, we sometimes eat on paper plates because it's just quick. You don't have to do the dishes and, you know, so your, your TV goes out or someone's uh, car has a bad part, you know, people just replace them. And um, but we have that sort of perspective as a society on human life as well. And, and oftentimes, I mean, hopefully not believers, but, but even sometimes in a practical way, believers have a, a sort of, um, of a throwaway mentality, which is we, we fail to see the people that are in front of us and see them as value. We may see those who have special needs as an inconvenience. They're kind of getting in the way. In the way. I mean, you might even have people who say, well, this, they're financially a societal drain, you know, yeah. um, but there's my boy and full of life and full of joy. I mean, listen, he, he enters the room, Rob, you got to meet this kid one day. We're coming out, we're coming out this summer. I don't know if we can connect. Um, we're going to come see my parents, and, yeah. uh, but you got to see this bundle, six foot two, 320 pounds. He doesn't have an off button when it comes to eating. It's just like, he's just, but all like every bit of that boy is just joy. When he enters a room, he not only exhibits joy, 
he elicits joy from others. I remember we, he was probably just like nine or 10. We were at an Applebee's um, eating out. And uh, it's like he's able to find the most depressed, rough looking person and somehow bring that out. There's this guy has got this gnarly um, biker beard, you know, leathered, all tatted up and and like sitting by himself, had a scowl on his face, you know. Caleb, some slips out of the booth we're sitting in, walks over before I can get him, you know, and like embraces this guy. Like, I don't know why or how. It's like this guy just melts, you know. And he does that everywhere. He was uh, he was somewhere the other day and he made this uh, grown lady sit down on the on the floor and read a book to him. No, excuse me. He he read a book to him. And I remember the day, Rob, I remember the day when I thought I'll never hear my boy say I love you. Mm. And here he is reading a book to you just never know. Right. Don't put mm. limits on what God can Amen. do. I, I think he'll have this impairment his whole life. Um, and, um, you know, but 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 yeah, so he brings out joy in people, evokes that. And I can see the Lord bring incredible joy. You were asking, I think, earlier, you know, what are some of the things that I love about him? Um, yeah. He's able to bring humor to a situation. You might have to edit this out, Rob. I don't know. But <laughs> he came home the other day. He rides a bus home from school. And uh, he's a big boy. He's 18 years old, you know, and has a lunch at school and comes home. Our, our county is equipped with really good, a really good system for him. Um, and, uh, but he came home and on the way home, he just couldn't wait. And, um, sadly, and honestly, as a dad, it's kind of humbling to even say this, but he ended up wedding himself and pretty significantly. So he came home to his grand grandmother's house where he, he, um, normally, uh, goes home every day and she bathed him and, um, got him ready, but we didn't have a change of clothes for him. So here's this big guy, right? 18 years old. He doesn't even know. And that's the sad thing, right? He doesn't even know that he's that this that he's that there's a loss of dignity here in this in this in these moments and he's sitting there with a towel wrapped around him and in what could have been a really depressing moment he looks over at my mother-in-law and his grandmother and he says not he says chancho i need to borrow some sweats which is <laughs> which is a quote from nacho libre if any <laughs> any fans out there but you know like somehow he's able to bring humor, you know, in the middle of this really awkward and and painful situation. So you know, the Lord is has been gracious and shows us moments of of uh, of His favor, even in 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 humor like that. I love that. I love that. You know, Kevin, as we kind of wrap this up, what insights and words of encouragement would you like to share with parents who are raising a special needs child? Yeah. So. Uh, so I have I have a few, and if you need to cut me off, just just kind of give me the give me the the, the notion there. But I, I think the first thing, and, and I thought about this, and I tried to put it somewhat in in order, is you've got to get a good theology of suffering and disability. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is there are a lot of churches in, and I, this is probably not true of your listeners. I hope it's not, but I I, I see it infiltrate all kinds of of, of groups and, and denominations. There are a lot of churches that have a really bad idea of suffering. They might see brokenness as something that is not only a result of the curse, which indeed it is. It's a part of the fall. It's a result of our forefathers, Adam and Eve, their sinfulness, and our perpetuity, our our, our perpetuating of of that sinfulness. But um, but some would claim, like in Isaiah the prophet, that um, Christ has come to to heal all of our wounds. Right by stripes we're healed, uh, and they have no place in their theology for. The reality that there we live in a broken and fallen world, and some of those things, some of those things don't get fixed. Right. Not every relationship gets mended. Not every sickness gets healed. And 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 I think that that sets us up. If we have a wrong theology, it sets us up for a real bitterness against God, or an over self evaluation, uh, um, where where we're not where, where we're wondering did i do something wrong like like you remember in john 9 where and i alluded to this in the in the article where jesus and his disciples come upon this blind man and they see him sitting there and they ask rabbi um who sinned this man or or his parents that he was born blind now notice the language this is a congenital problem that this man had he was born with this blindness but they're asking they're asking did he sin in his life in some way? And God knew he was going to sin in, in the future in such a way. So he precursed him yeah. 
with yeah. this so that he was born blind? Did he sin so that he was born blind? Like there's some sort of retroactive, right? Right. It's just bad theology. Yeah. And so I think there are a lot of people who now listen, the Lord does heal. And, and this is one of the things that, that I've struggled with is when I was five, um, my parents had moved to West Africa. They, they, we were serving um, with world vision. My parents were, uh, there was a famine in, in that region at the time. And my dad went to help uh, kind of alleviate some of the suffering there. And I contracted cerebral malaria, which is the worst form of malaria. You can get it. It's in the brain, right? And the, the brain begins to swell. The body begins to heat up. You get this fever. I was in a coma for, uh, for nearly two weeks. The doctor said, you know, your son's not going to make it. If in the off chance he, he lives, he's going to have severe brain damage. Um, and there's still some, still some debate out on, on that one. <laughs> but, you know, um, but like, so, but the Lord healed me. I mean, radically. And I've never had a relapse, which is common with malaria. I've never had any sort of issue with that. So I've seen God heal and I know he can radically heal. Um, but if your theology says he has to heal all the time, um, you're, you're setting yourself up for some real anger and disappointment with God. That's not intended there. So Jesus answers in that passage, he says, neither this man nor his parents, but that the works and the idea there in the original language is like the, the, the wondrous works, the miraculous works of God might be displayed so that God would be glorified. And so whether God heals or doesn't heal, I think we as believers, followers of Christ, those who have children with special needs or family members, those that they love, have got to see this um, in the in the right way that God is using this to. I mean, think about Paul; like he had a thorn in the flesh, right? right. <laughs> I mean, what do you do with that? Yeah. Like he here's a guy who loves the Lord and is walking in His will, and um, but we have to have a place for Suffering. God not answering every prayer like we want Him to. Okay, right um, so theology, theology number one. What's next? Yeah, number two. Thanks for moving me along. All right, stay rooted in Christ. Um, I think that, that it can't be overstated that if you're not abiding in Christ, John 15, right? He's the vine, we're the branches, and, and we're only going to bear fruit. Anything good that's going to come from us is going to come when we're connected to him in, in our relationship with him. And and um, and apart from him, we can do nothing. And that's really, really true. One of the things that the Lord's taught me, Rob, through this, and I never really thought this was going to be, you know, this, this whole journey with our son with disabilities was going to be something that... Um, uh, that would be a lesson for me, right? I thought I was doing okay with God, was the Lord began to evoke a lot of weakness out of me. Hmm. I mean, I I really thought I could handle a lot of stuff, you know, high capacity, high energy, you know, guy. That, that's what I thought of myself. I'm not saying that was real. That was my perception of myself. Um, and the Lord has just realized that, uh, and it came to a moment of brokenness, which I'll hit in the last point, but but if, if I were not daily in the word and rooted in him, um, uh, I, I, I can tell that my faith would have failed. Um, mm. You know, I'm not talking about apostasy and we can go to yeah. the theology of that later, but, but, you know, um, certainly there's something about us persisting, staying rooted. Number three, don't give up. I mean, I know that sounds probably like a, a locker room talk, but uh, the reality is most people give up. They give up on their marriages, 80 to 85% of marriages of special needs children wow. um, or, or those who have special needs children uh, end up in divorce. That's, that's a massively high number. That means like like 15% remain, right? Oh. Uh, Marianne and I, when we heard that uh, our first, uh, when he was first diagnosed, I mean, that was kind of sobering. I'm like, you know, better men than me have fallen. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and so so take watch, but, but don't give up. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on your child. A lot of guys, some moms walk away. They're like, this is not what I signed up for. You know, like I'm, yeah. I'm done with this. It's just too hard. I don't, I don't have to. Yeah. Um, and so don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up. Don't give up on your faith. Like you, mm -hmm. you're going to be tempted to think that either God's not good or he's not powerful enough, or he's not perceptive enough to attend to your needs, but don't give up. Yeah. He does see Galatians six, nine says, do not grow weary in well-doing for in due season, you will reap if you faint not. Yeah. And so yeah. that we're faithful to the context. It doesn't mean that all your problems are going to be solved, but it does mean that, that, that you're going to see victory in your life and, and God will not, he's not, I love that verse. I, I think it's Hebrews. I'm, I'm maybe wrong on that, but he says, he's not unfaithful. He's not unjust. So as to forget your work or your labor yes. of love and, and, and how much more your labor of love for the least of these, right? Mm. Those who can't, yeah. 
yeah. do for themselves, defend themselves. And, you know, one of the things that I, I think is really key on what you're saying about not giving up is when we give up, we, we end up not giving the Lord that opportunity to show his grace as being sufficient, you know, on our behalf. And, and so by, by hanging in there and, you know, and, and sticking through it, you know, it just opens the door for God and his grace and his power to work and bring strength that we never, ever thought was was possible. And I love what you said before of just the, the idea of it brought out a brokenness in, in you because, you know, I, I'm a, I always tell our church this, that, you know, none of us have arrived. We are all broken people who are in the process of being transformed by a loving redeemer. And that's, that's our, all of our, our story. And, uh, but the Lord loves to get us to that place where we are just, it's really the poor in spirit being utterly dependent upon him for everything. And one of the things I love when you read through, you know, the gospels is you always see Jesus responding in a positive way toward the desperate heart. And so I can't concur more about what you're saying about just that idea of, you know, don't give up. You keep pressing through. You keep abiding. What's the fourth thing? Yeah, and that that really kind of segues nicely, and that is to ask for help. Mm. And that's going to require some humility. You know, honestly, people are intimidated when they see people with special needs. They don't they don't feel like they're equipped. They don't know what to do. But um, but you know, you, you got to ask for help. You know, now mm. you may be disappointed. Maybe that people don't come through for you, and you got to got to be careful and not to set your expectations too high, but, but um, you got to put it out there uh, and, and ask for help. And this could come in the form of, you know, Hey, could you sit with, uh, could you sit with our, our son while we go and get a bite to eat? You know, it's been a, it's been, been, been a couple of months since we've been able to, to actually have a full length conversation with each other. Or, you know, one of the things, and you asked uh, maybe um, in our conversation before we went on air, but but you asked about like, how could the church come in here and help, you know, respite care is huge. You know, you, who are you going to trust your child to stay with if you need to get away for a weekend with your wife or your husband, or, you know, just get some time where you don't have to be on where your, your adrenal glands aren't in full open position, you know, and, and, and I think that's, that's really huge, but you, you got to ask for help. And, and that means that you've got to cultivate those relationships. I think a lot of times as a pastor, you know, Rob, you've probably experienced this. People are always waiting for someone else to approach them for something you, you got to, you know, like you're going to be waiting all your life for that. You mm-hmm. got to, you got to ask and, uh, and ask for help. Love that. Uh, can we, we jump into number, number we'll five here? Yeah, if, sure. you, if you want, um, do your best to live a normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds really strange and almost too simplistic. And some of you, uh, if you have special needs kids, especially those who may be more profoundly disabled than than ours, although our son does have profound autism, um, it's not a competition like whose child is more, you know, more disabled th- than another. But for some of you, that may sound like a slap in the face because being mobile or or um, getting places is incredibly difficult for you. But we just made a decision early on in our marriage um, uh, and in in raising Caleb specifically that we were going to do our best to to live a normal life, which meant we were going to go places. We weren't going to be a prisoner in our home, as painful as it was. I mean, talking about shrills and screams and meltdowns. I remember one time I could not physically, my son had just transitioned where I could not, without harming him, we were in the middle of Walmart, he had a, a meltdown. I could not physically redirect him. Normally I could kind of push his shoulders and we could get out of the situation. We could get him calmed and, um, and uh, but but we, we had passed that point, you know, and it's hard. They're going to be, have to be a lot of awkward moments, but you've got to push yourself and you got to get out. You need relationships and that's no more, no more true. And especially uh, it's truth rings out when it comes to worship, you know, like 80, um, 85, uh, 85 to 90% of families with special needs are, um, are, have, uh, are unchurched. And, and that, what that means is that um, they don't go to church anywhere. And so, We've, we've had to figure out a way, now, partly because I'm a pastor and I just felt like I had to lead by example, but you've got to get out. Um, we just weren't going to be prisoners, you know, again. So, and we didn't want our other kids to feel like this defined them entirely, the, this existence. So you you got to try to live a normal life. We, we take vacations. We are going to hopefully get on a plane. You know, we go to church, we go to concerts and it's awkward. You know, we went to a local went to a local place and he decided to sing the songs in the middle of a, you know, in the middle of a professional theater. I'm like, well, okay, here we are, you know, but, but you just kind of determine as best as you can to make your, 
your life normal. I love that. And then the- hey, we have two minutes, uh, Kevin, and I just want to wrap this up by just letting you yeah. speak to this. Um, what would you say to us who are unfamiliar with living with a special needs child? What, what should we be aware of when we come in contact so that it's not awkward or it's, you know, what, what would you say right. to the, the rest of us out there who have no idea what you're going through that would just be really, yeah. really helpful for us, especially a, in the a, church here. Yeah. Let's wrap you know, it up on I, I this think, one. I think even if it's not reciprocated, treat that child or that special needs adult with dignity and talk to them. They may or they may not know what's going on. They may know their receptive language may be better than their expressive language, meaning they may be able to know that you're showing them dignity and worth they just can't get it out. Yeah. So speak to them, you know, don't speak down to them, speak to them with dignity, get on their level, find interests that they may have, enter their world, right? So my mm-hmm. son has his own little imaginary world where everything is just right, uh, involves theme parks and rides and pizza <laughs> and Chuck E. Cheese. But like, if that's where you have to go, enter yeah. that, you know, but, I love that. but, and don't be afraid to mess something up. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're not going to just, uh, just do that. And then Rob, if I could add just one super quick word, and, and maybe one day we could revisit this either personally or some other way. I think for me, the biggest thing that that the Lord wanted to teach me was I had to adjust my expectations mm-hmm. of this life and and hope more for the life to come in glory. Um, and uh, and so uh, that was a real, uh, real thing the Lord had to teach me deep in my life. And uh, one of these days, maybe we can go into that a little deeper, but um, but yeah, treat your treat these kids and these people like humans created in the image of God. And uh, I love that our church family has done such a great job uh, of surrounding him and our son and um, and befriending him and uh, and and loving on him. And you can do the same. Adopt a <laughs> adopt a family. Um, get get with some of these families. Reach out to them and just try. Right. Just try. Amen. Well, Kevin, I just thank you so much for writing that article, being vulnerable about your life, your family's life, and this journey uh, with Caleb. I know that um, many people were touched by that story, and I hope people will be encouraged by um, as they listen to this uh, interview. And thanks so much. Great to uh, hear your voice and uh, see your face and um, you continue, brother, and just uh, pressing on serving Jesus there in Georgia. God bless you, right man. On, brother. Thank you so much, Rob. It's been an honor to be with you. I love right. you, brother. Thank you for listening to Season 5 of the Basics of Life Conversations with Rob Salvato. If you'd like access to more Christ-centered content, you can go to goodline.io, also known as the Good Lion Podcast Network. And if you enjoyed this conversation, we would love it if you shared it with a friend, left us a review or a rating. Otherwise, we'll see you next time here on the Basics of Life Conversations.